Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional, and those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. When I first took over this podcast, my very first guest was Ira Wolf, and we talked about what HR might look like in 2025. I think all things considered, we were well on track to realize that future uh, until the pandemic hit, of course. Now we are pleased to have Ira back with us to ask a few more follow-up questions, including what will HR look like next year and what might it look like in the 2030 to 2035 uh, time. Ira is the president of Success Performance Solutions, which excels in pre-employment testing software for sales, leadership, service, and production across a number of industries. In addition to being a blogger and a prolific business writer, Ira is an accomplished speaker, having visited the stages of TEDx and Disrupt HR. He has also published books such as The Perfect Labor Storm and Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, When the Shift Hits Your Plan. Ira, have you written any other books since then? Not recently, other than Recruiting in the Age of Googleization is in its second edition. So there was an update to it uh, in the beginning of 2020, right before the pandemic hit, but it's, it's holding pretty true. Excellent. Um, Ira, thanks again so much for taking the time to join us today. No, it's my pleasure. It's great to be back. Uh, I can't believe it's been uh, two years and uh, certainly a lot has happened. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of that has happened in the last few months. (laughs) Um, You know, there was a certain track and and we've seen it ourselves. You know, we had all these plans about what we were going to do this year all this coverage and it just so much of it just stopped mattering in the face of the uh, pandemic. And, you know, it's one of those things where we talk about it so much. I I think people might be starting to get a little tired of hearing about it, but it impacts literally every aspect of the work. That means we have to examine every aspect of work, Um, re-examine it really. So, you know, I guess the first question is, you know, what's 2021 looking like? Uh, in your estimation, and what was it going to look like before the pandemic? Well, I think it it looks pretty much the same uh, in my book and my TED Talk and and basically what my life was about was looking at the world uh, as we described it as VUCA, V-U-C-A. You know, it's it's the acronym that's been out for a while, used by the military primarily, and it talked about being volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And I really can't think of a better acronym or a better description uh, than uh, VUCA. That's, that's <laughs> going to be, that's certainly going to be the rest of 2021. Um, it's, it's really going to be with us the rest of our life. I think we're just going to normalize it. I, I think we're going to become used to it. But um, And uh, that makes everyone pretty uncomfortable because there really isn't any certainty uh, of what life is going to be. I mean, before this all happened... There was a lot of talk about being agile, failing fast, iterations, you know, and I think that that was a direction that a lot of organizations were moving. Those that embraced it were doing very well. Those that were aware of it were trying to embrace it were on the right path. But I think the difference between before and now is that uh, maybe they had a little bit of time to get that stuff together. And now, you know, and we've seen it with our own organization, you really do have to be agile or you will not survive. 
That's for sure. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, the, I, I mentioned VUCA, which is, you know, the, the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. But there's a, a, a there, there's a positive flip side to that. I don't want to say a, a positive, but a flip side to that. Uh, and I, I give credit to Bob Johansson from the Institute for the Future for for identifying it. And he talks about vision, understanding, clarity and agility. So agility is actually part of the solution of how you need to survive. Uh, but the the pace at which change was happening, and this was a big part of my book, uh, the first half of the book, by the way, as you probably know, uh, had nothing to do with recruiting. It, w- it was the first 130 pages was going to be what the future was going to look like. And then, um, you know, and the biggest change was, as, as we you even started the show, talk, the conversation starting uh, what was it going to look like in 2021 or 2025 or 2030? And what's changed is everything's accelerating. Everything's just happening faster. So in addition to being agile, which is, an, you know, adapting to it, our, the opportunity, the time span we have to adapt is really uh, shortened. I think that's both very encouraging and also somewhat terrifying because, you know, like we talked about last time, um, all the, especially when it comes to the use of technologies to make advancements in the workplace, you know, there's all those people need to be trained on those new technologies. It's hard for people to keep up with, with the tech, you know, um, you turn around six months later and what you knew might be obsolete already. And I think people are struggling with that issue before. And now that's, also accelerated, right? If people are implementing more technological solutions and making large drastic changes rapidly, I guess the question is, are we capable of handling that? As human beings, it's going to be quite challenging uh, because, uh, you, you know, we, we don't like uncertainty. Uh, we like some predict- predictability. It doesn't mean that we don't like change, uh, but the our ability to keep up with all that change uh, you know, one is physically um, is, is challenging. Mentally, it's exhausting, and emotionally, it's terrifying. Uh, so, uh, so <laughs> the answer is: are, are we? You know, we, we don't really don't have a choice. I mean, there, there's no way to to slow down change. Certainly, we can put laws and regulations in in effect that says, "Oh, we can't use this technology." But on the reverse side of that, how we're surviving through this pandemic is using technology. Um, so it, it, we're, we're sort of in this paradox that the that you know going back to to the nineteen eighteen pandemic, you know there was millions of people that died, and, and partly the reason was was the lack of technology. Uh, we didn't have the healthcare. Uh, which which is technology. It's really a technology service industry, uh, but we didn't have the technology. We're really struggling with the lab testing, which is a manufacturing process. But that's also uh, our inability to to optimize and utilize the technology. Um, but th- how we're surviving? Just you know, this conversation, uh, schools, business. Uh, everybody was able to go home and and do their Zoom calls. So emotionally, I mean, physically, emotionally. And mentally, it, we are all capable of doing it. The problem is, it's it's obviously nerve wracking for for many people. Absolutely, you know, it's a, it's one of those things where I don't know. I guess I've settled into a groove, but for the first few months, it just felt like the rapid new information about the virus. You know, what worked, what didn't work, 
who was the most um, infectious and who wasn't meant ma- kind of massive changes to the way you operated your life. Like every single time they made a change, it changed everything. And that's hard to, that's hard to keep up with, you know, um, it's still hard to keep up with, but like you were mentioning earlier, you do kind of sort of get used to it over time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, I think we're normalizing. I think we're far from that. I think there's obviously a lot of people that are still trying to go back to normal. Um, I I wrote, and this is months ago already, it's hard to believe, but I wrote a an obituary to normal. And, you know, it's it's that, Mr., you know, normal died and we're all mourning it and we're grieving and we and we wish it would come back and we remember, remember it the way they used to be. But just as in death, um, it's not coming back. I mean, it, it, we will we will settle into a new normal. Um, we'll we'll create a new life for ourselves, but it's it's definitely going to be very very different uh, than it was before. But but you are you know the other part of, of of VUCA is that you have this uncertainty, and you know the A stands for ambiguity, and the fact is is that we. We have a tough. We we sort of live in a binary world. I mean, that's the way our our minds tend to work. So it's either this expert's right or that expert's right. And and the fact is, is you know, and then you pollute it with all the false news. Uh, but we won't go down that road. Uh, but it, it, but we don't know. I mean, medicine. You know, this was a brand new virus and how people reacted. And there's so many variables. And 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 I, I spoke actually uh, a real interesting conversation is the the difference between complicated and complex. And we've always talked about it. I mean, I remember growing up and it's like, oh, our world is just so much more complicated than it used to be. Well, complexity puts it on an exponential curve that uh, because in complicated, there are patterns that we can recognize. And this comes, you know, I'm, I'm not the, the person who comes up with all this stuff, but uh, last week I, or two weeks ago, now I interviewed John Sine. And John is uh, from South Africa. He's Africa's first uh, singularity faculty member. Super, super smart guy. And I've been following this, this trend, uh, the, not a trend, but um, the differences between simple, complicated, and complex. In fact, I wrote an article about 10 years ago on it uh, after I read something, I think it was in Harvard Business Review. And what they talk about is complicated, you know, simple, simple just means there's an easy choice. If you do this, that happens. Complicated, somewhat like that, that there are patterns and you may have to become a little bit more savvy and, and identify those patterns. But once you find the pattern, then you can go from A to B. The problem with, with complex, which is with the world we live in, is A and B keep changing. And, and and we're not sure which direction we're going into. So not only do, do we have A, B, C, D, and E, but A, B, C, D, and E keep evolving and they keep changing and the combinations of those. So we, we can't even identify patterns that are consistent, which is unnerving. Uh, so I, I think that's, you know, that's really where we are. And we're really struggling with, you know, I, you, you can listen to a Dr. Fauci and a Dr. Burks, and then there's another doctor and somebody aligns with that doctor and they go, how could, you know, well, here they're a doctor too. And, and the reality is it's, it, all of it may be true. <laughs> it, 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 it may not be all or none. There may be a combination. It may be in the middle or sometimes, you know, Dr. A is correct. And, and next time Dr. B is correct. And that's, 
that's the challenge we get. And it's, and again, it's changing so fast and evolving so fast that our minds aren't prepared to deal with it or our mindsets. I wouldn't even say our minds because we're pretty smart people. I mean, the brain's a, you know, a fascinating, you know, organ that we have. Um, but our mindsets sort of get in the way. Yeah. I'm while you're talking about this, I'm having uh, flashbacks to multivariable calculus and, uh, <laughs> Thanks, you know. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, it's so far. That's so far gone for me. I don't remember it. <laughs> so. I just remember not knowing what was going on, and it was kind of you know, it's not totally out of the blue. You know, all the math up until then was was like you said, complex. Uh, was it? And um, or complicated. No, it moved from complicated. complicated. Yep, yeah. I got it. Complicated. Right. It was you could still do the stuff and get to the answer. Uh, but at least for me, once I got to multivariable calculus, I was like, I don't understand. Any no, of this. You're absolutely right. And, and look and how li- many people <laughs> look how many people struggle with even simple math. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. You know, calculus uh, or basic calculus. And then you do get to multivariable and. You know, that's where technology, you know, starts to come into play. Mm-hmm. But some, somebody's figured it out. <laughs> what other things are you seeing that have already been accelerated? What other trends that were coming have been accelerated that maybe we aren't so aware of? Well, I mean, there's certainly a lot with, you know, there's a lot with the remote work. Um, and, and I think we're going to evolve back or we're, I can't say evolve back, but we're going to go back to some hybrid of that. There's going to be many people that work only at home. And there's probably some, there's going to be some people that, that go to work as, as we used to. And then there's going to be a lot of people in between. Uh, you know, I, I'm not, I mean, there's so much been talked about. I'm not sure there, there's anything I can bring awareness to other than, you know, education's going to change. We're, we're certainly looking at that. Um, I'm actually teaching this fall for the first time in a few years at a graduate mm-hmm. program um, in leadership. Um, I'm, and, and again, what, what an opportunity. I'm actually teaching organizational change. So, you couldn't think of a better, you know, better opportunity, a better, better time to be talking about that. Uh, and they initially, they were really struggling. They, they were holding out to the last minute to try to make it classroom. And a lot of the professors were. I'm not sure if it's ever going to go back to full classroom. I, and I'm not sure, you know, I personally, I mean, I'm an older baby boomer, so I should be, you know, just uh, living to go back to a classroom, uh, standard classroom. And yet, you know, I'm, I'm happy that it's going to be remote, not not because it's safer, but I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there to be able to do it that way. So education is definitely going to change uh, healthcare. I, I, I think behind the science, behind the scenes, uh, we there was a lot of doubt, like with autonomous vehicles and, and not just, oh, what you know, that's fascinating. We're going to be clo- closer to the Jetsons than we ever were before. There won't be flying, <laughs> there won't be flying cars, but we'll be driving and there won't be. Uh, there won't be a driver, you know, you're going to be able to sit. Back. Right. But in March of this year, we started to see what life would be when autonomous vehicles hit the road in mass. And what it was is that there wasn't there wasn't a lot of uh, people on the highway. Uh, it's how things were going to look at when, you know, in a city, look like the changes in New York City already uh how many restaurants how many delis theaters closing down parking lots uh i wrote about in my book uh what it was going to be like uh when we had autonomous vehicles and you know the cities uh you know any any event 
place, uh, any city was looking for more parking spaces. Well, all of a sudden, you don't need parking garages because there's no cars coming in. Uh, what does public transportation look like? Well, people got worried about public transportation because of the safety of it. Cra- you know, it used to yep. be that, that joke, crowding as many people into a subway uh, or a train car. And then that became, you know, taboo. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever going to be wanting to go back to that again, to that lifestyle. I don't know if people are going to wanting to go back to commuting the way they were, you know, hour, two hour, even three hour commutes one way. Um uh, so there, there's just, um, you know, I think healthcare is going to change. Um, again, all of a sudden, people got comfortable with teledoc, with tele, with telehealth. Yeah. Um, and and again, that was people just couldn't imagine what that was like, and all of a sudden, it became okay. Um, education, you know, as I as I mentioned before, transportation, entertainment. Um, Look at, uh, you know, there were certainly people using Netflix and and uh, Apple and Amazon or, or any of the streaming services. But now we have, um, you know, certainly a huge impact on what streaming services are. Are the movie theaters really going to come back? Are uh, yeah. concert venues, entertainment, are concert venues go- going to, you know, come back? Um, I have no idea. You know, I I, I sort of doubt it. (laughs) And me too. I I think we might even see a resurgence in um, drive-through or drive-in theaters. Walmart's putting drive-in theaters up in their parking lots. Here in Connecticut, there's one of the oldest drive-in theater um, venues over in Willowmantic. I'd be curious to see how they've been doing. But yeah, it's and people have been getting clever, you know, like uh, even individuals with projectors outside and if you want to have a social gathering that's watching a movie, you just can't do it inside right now. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Um, the, the, there, we, we, it's funny, locally, we have a drive, one of the, the remaining drive-in theaters. Uh, it's probably 20 minutes from here. And initially they opened up and they, vi- they actually violated the, um, you know, the state order by like two days. Uh, and they got penalized and they weren't allowed to open up. But, you know, they were going to have the social distancing in there and they are open now. Uh, and, and that's a good venue. But I know the movie theaters were avid. We were avid movie theater goers. It was like every week we went at least on one one of the two nights on a weekend. Uh, we had a, we had a pass and, and we went a lot. And now we're debating, you know, we want to even have a pass. Uh, you know, we started to stream a lot more. Uh, they're certainly nice to go. It's going to be nice to go to a theater. Uh, we had Broadway theater tickets. We had concert tickets. Um, but uh, as you said, uh, you know, is it safe? What's that? Gonna, what's that experience going to be like? You know, crowding 60,000 people into a stadium <laughs> again. When will we feel safe? And, and that's the other thing we don't know, because we don't know what a vaccine is going to be, you know, if, if the vaccine is going to be effective, who is it going to be effective on? What if only 50% of the population, which is usually what gets it? Uh, what if, you know, what if everybody doesn't have it? Um, so it, there's certainly going to be a continued amount of uncertainty and ambiguity for the next few years. But, you know, we're, we're talking about work, you know, the work environment. So what does that mean for the work environment? How, how does work get done? Uh, I, I mentioned this, um, 
pretty early on. I mean, we were talking about this in, in as, as early as March and April with some of our guests on my podcast and, and, and other interviews of when when people went back to work, however soon or delayed that was going to be, that life was going to change. And we anticipated that, you know, getting into work was going to take a lot longer. So you, you can't roll up to the door at 7.59 and expect to be inside because you're going to have a temperature check. But what happens, to, what happened to the temperature checks? What happens if you're positive and you got pulled out? Did that violate HIPAA? You know, where did people go with it? Uh, standing in line in elevators. Uh, now you can have two people or maybe three people in an elevator versus 10 or 12 people in an elevator. Uh, what about restrooms? What about lunchrooms? What about getting your coffee? What about at lunch? And then all of a sudden what happened is because people were fearful of taking the public transportation, they drove to work and the parking lots were full and there wasn't enough parking spaces for people. <laughs> the, the, the collateral, yeah, I mean, the downstream impact of what this means, uh, probably on a permanent basis, uh, we're still trying to figure it out. Yeah, I think... You know, a lot of the workplace issues that you mention um, are going to create a very attractive um, option for people, for employers, which is if I have to do all this stuff for a worker, why don't I just remove the worker and go to automation? It's been happening for decades. It's been accelerating I, you got to look at particularly the, the largest organizations that have the kinds of resources to pull off this kind of thing. Are you aware of an acceleration in that front? You know, it's interesting. Um, I think in some regards, I think the acceleration of automation is taking place. Uh, there's no question that there are businesses that realize they didn't need as many employees uh, they had be, as before, but they didn't need many of those employees because of the work that was being done. They were paying people to do a lot of tedious, manual, repetitive tasks and because they were good at it and it was just easier. They didn't have to change. Uh, we've been talking about the skill gap for quite a while. And the skill, what, what, and maybe this is going back to your uh, question that you had before, is there anything that, are, that people are missing? And one of the things that are that people seem to be missing is that the skill gap accelerated, that there were a lot of people that had average or maybe even above average skills for 2019. But all of a sudden, because they went home and companies downsized and maybe because they did automate it or because work had to be done differently, those skills, uh, there were many people that didn't have digital skills. Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, when everybody went home, they had to become their own. Not only did they have to become, did, did, did workers become parents and teachers simultaneously, um, but they also had to become their own tech person that they they couldn't call. They couldn't call Jim to come up and download this app or, you know, uh, fix the VPN or or update the software. Uh, they had to figure it out on their own. And and there really was, there's still a crisis. There's a lot of people that are really struggling to be able to connect to the outside world during this time. And even when they go back to work, it's not going to be the same uh, because a lot of the IT can do it remotely. So they're, they're not even on site to be able to do that. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are 
that that find themselves without the skills that are needed. They we can blame it on automation, uh, but frankly, we saw it coming. We 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 knew that there was going to be a skill shortage in 2025, in 2030. It's been predicted. Um, you know, every decade there's a prediction uh, of what's going to be needed, and most of it came true. What happened, though, I think the 2030 skill sets that were co- required uh, arrived ten years early. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, we we talked about we talked about mindful. You know, we talked about other things that that before were soft and soft, warm and fuzzy, but nobody was really doing anything. But you know, stress management and emotional intelligence and mindfulness and presentation skills, uh, communication skills. Uh, people were able to hide in their cubicle, and now all of a sudden they're on they're on screen. And their <laughs> and their communication, their presentation, their their technical skills are horrible. Uh, and you know, many people adapted and they learned. And there's a lot of other people that are going to fall by the wayside. So I, I think we're going to continue to see a rapid pace of, of automation. I think that's going to accelerate. Uh, now everybody understands what an exponential curve looks like. Um, you know, from from looking at a, the uh, the rates of infection, uh, that's going to continue with technology. But it's going to create a lot of opportunity. There, um, it's it's interesting because I, as as you mentioned early on in my intro. We, my business focuses on pre-employment and leadership testing. So in, you know, if we look back at 20, uh, 2000, at 9-11, 2001 and 2008, the last two recessions, my business came to a screeching halt. I mean, no, right. nobody did anything. Everybody just was in freeze mode. And it took a couple years for people to rebound. Uh, my business in the second quarter of this year, in the heat of this pandemic, increased 58%. There was a robust economy, and it's still going on. There, there, there are industries, there are, there are sectors, there are companies within each sector that are just thriving, and they are hiring human beings. It's not that they automated. They're hiring human beings to do a lot of the work uh, because they made that shift, and whether they were agile before or they figured it out or not. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity. There, there's, you know, in every industrial shift, there has always been new jobs that are created, more new jobs than there were that were lost. Um, but the question is, is how quickly can we get people prepped to fill those jobs? Yeah, I think one of the things that's been really interesting is, you know, I, I'm a millennial, I got pretty much train wrecked by uh, the 2008 collapse, um, as did a lot of my peers. And at that time, it really was just everybody stopped hiring, it seemed like, at least in any field that I was able to. And, and even, you know, you sort of always had the opportunity to go, you know, worst comes to worst, you can't get anything. You could go work at a gas station, you could work at McDonald's, you could work at, and you could find something, you know, even just to get a, a small paycheck. And that people just weren't responding. They weren't replying. There was literally nothing. And I had made the exciting uh, decision to move into the middle of nowhere because I had an online job right at that time. Um, so I figured, well, I don't need to be where there's any businesses or where there's any activity. I just need an internet connection. And uh, when that when they closed down, I found myself in the, literally in the middle of nowhere with no opportunities. And this time, you know, um, it seems like that happened in some sectors and then these other ones just exploded. 
And it's been, I don't know if it's just because it's new to me or if this is truly a unique situation, but I wasn't aware that it was possible for an economy to survive when 30% of the people or 25% of the people weren't working. And yet somehow, here we are. You know, it's funny, and I'd love to be able to have this conversation with him. You just you just brought this up, and I forgot about it for a while. I wrote for a magazine. It was called Business to Business. And I wrote for it for almost 13 or 14 years. And the, and the editor of that was an economist. And I remember saying, in, and maybe it was after uh, 9-11, and I said, I, I thought at some point that we would be able to have a thriving economy with maybe 6 7 or 8% unemployment um, because we were going to have so much automation that our product productivity could survive and grow. But what would happen is the, but, you know, there was a society problem because what were you going to do with seven or 8 million or seven or 8% unemployment as a lot of people that are going to sitting by the wayside. And we have 10, 12, 13% unemployment, whichever number you want to live by. And that, um, and and yet we've got the you know stock markets breaking records. Not that that's a true reflection of what the economy looks like. Um, so we still have we have poverty, you know, our poverty gap, our education gap, our our um, uh, our, our skills gap, our you know, you know, we we've got problems. We got huge, huge problems, which we which we didn't address. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we can't have a a uh, you know a, a prosperous economy or or even a growing economy. Um, it, it'll it'll be interesting. Those are all things I think we pushed we kicked the can down the road as far as it can go. Uh, the election's certainly going to be interesting. Uh, having trillions of dollars of new debt is going to be interesting. How we resolve that, um, but there's. You know, on the other hand, and, and again, I don't want to just put this out as a complete world of uncertainty and and uh, but I, I, <laughs> I speak, you know, I, I mentor a, a, a couple groups. Uh, I work with because I'd rather hang out with millennials and, and than, than my than, than my older baby boomer peers uh, at times uh, there. <laughs> I am just amazed at the the ingenuity, the innovativeness, the the aspirations. Um, there are so many good things going on that we don't see about, that we don't hear about, because it's not that it's a small minority or, or you know, a small percentage. It's a significant population. But when you have 50 million people plus 50 million plus people, uh, either un- without a job or receiving unemployment benefits, that's a problem and we need to address it. Uh, but there's a, there really is a lot of good things happening. So I, I think once we, we, we sort of get past this curve, you know, and, I, you know, whatever the flattening of the curve looks like or whatever that means, uh, I think once we get beyond the emergency stage of this and people learn to adapt and that we're not and accept that we're not going back to normal, there's going to be really a robust economy. There's going to be a, a robust Number, a lot of new jobs are going to be created in new industries and positions that we hadn't thought of before. Uh, but 
uh, there's going to be a lot of people that struggle. The companies are going to struggle hiring people because they're not going to have the skills. The competition for recruitment is going to, you know, continue to be strong. Uh, there's going to be people that uh, are, remain on unemployment because they can't get the education. They can afford it, the skill gap. But, um, you know, I, I also think that there's going to be a pretty strong social movement to correct some of this. And it's not going to happen overnight. But the, the next few decades should be, you know, quite interesting. And hopefully we'll take this opportunity and move forward rather than complain about it. <laughs> I, I think it was Churchill who said, um, you can always depend on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think about that a lot uh, during, during the pandemic. It, we, you know, I also feel optimistic that we will get there and we're going to learn essentially every hard lesson along the way. I I don't see a way for us to avoid avoid that, but it does seem like there's some potential, there's some possibilities. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on for employers, you know, that had physical locations too that might decide to move online um or permanent on a permanent basis, you know, you're going to see leases coming up, you're going to see buildings that people don't need anymore, all those costs. You know, and that might be the deciding factor for a company saying, like, I can hire more people now because I don't have to spend so much just to keep them in an office. I well, I, I think there's a couple of good things. I think th- this did show that we can't we can't outsource our entire supply chain, you know, <laughs> around the world, especially for critical things, which means we're going to bring those back. Uh, I think you're right. I, I don't. I think I, I I wouldn't want to be owning a lot of corporate real estate right now. Uh, However, maybe that's the solution. Maybe a lot of these corporate buildings become the new education centers uh, because a lot of the schools were way outdated and these corporate buildings were equipped for technology. So maybe there's a reutilization of that. Uh, We're going to certainly need more healthcare, different types of healthcare. uh, So maybe that's going to, to change. Uh, You know, again, I mentioned earlier about uh, parking garages uh, you know, again, I don't think people are going to be flocking into the cities, into these parking garages as they used to. Um, so I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of new opportunity that arises, uh, you know, uh, uh, whether I, I can't remember that was exact. I, I got the gist of, of what that was from Churchill. And and it's true. I think people are going to to become will become very innovative. Um, you know, I, I'm surprised we live in a small town in Pennsylvania. And the Kmart's, mm. you know, when the anchor store was a Kmart, which I, I was surprised it lasted as long as it did. And I really wondered what they would do with that. Would it just be now there was a there's the local grocery stores there and, you know, they've had trouble. The Radio Shack was there. You know, the liquor store is there. <laughs> the state store is there. So that's that's there. And the grocery store is doing fine. There's an auto. Um, I can't remember which of the auto stores is there, the supply stores. Uh, so there was a couple stores, but, you know, the Payless was a shoe store that went out. Um, but so when Kmart went out, it's like, oh, man, I mean, it was like half the, the, the plaza. Within yeah. weeks, within weeks, there's three new tenants coming in. They're remodeling it and they're bringing in three new tenants, uh, wow. different types of tenants. I was absolutely shocked. So, you know, those are the things that in during the pandemic that these things are going on. Uh, so I'm 
you know, I, again, I, I think it's going to be a different way of life. Uh, there's going to be a lot of small businesses that suffer. I don't want to make light of that. I don't want to that there's not going to be a lot of pain and suffering. Uh, but there are ways out of it. I, and again, I think businesses that were smart before, even businesses that weren't smart, but figured out they had to be smart during this, uh, figure out a way. Uh, you know, there's a like a, the local salons. I mean, uh, you know, they were certainly handicapped. Uh, they, they couldn't open until almost the beginning of July in Pennsylvania. And it's amazing. They accommodated, you know, they put up plexiglass, they figured out different ways of going at the people who are struggling were the people who wanted to come, you know, they, they got more, they wanted sympathy for complaining rather than doing things <laughs> that changing the way that they did things. Uh, so I see, you know, there's a local salon down the street that was busier before who is swamped. Now they're open like 14, 15 hours a day. They spread the hours out. Uh, they shifted things. They don't allow the same amount of traffic in there. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be tough. I mean, restaurants, I think, are going to be a long time in recovery. Uh, but again, some figured that out, too. They figured out how to how to get by. Um, you know, pizza places thrived. <laughs> so. <laughs> That adaptability, the ability to, you know, um, well, to not be brittle. You know, there are so many organizations that have these foundations that they take very seriously that interferes with their ability to change. And you can't, that's not enough. It never really was. The crisis, a crisis was coming for any organization that remained unflexible. But this really was the crucible for that. For sure. You know, I, there's, there's, you, you bring up a good point. I mean, we, we mentioned adaptability just almost in passing, but it, it, it's a skill because what it is, is there's, there's flexibility, there's versatility, and there's adaptability. Uh, and this came from, oh, uh, I think Dr. Michael O'Connor. He, and he, he was one of the authors from uh, the Platinum Rule. And what he talked about was that flexibility just means you go with the wind. I mean, you know, obviously, if you're inflexible, that's a problem. But flexibility means you just you're looking for direction. You follow, you, you go, whatever. And that really never was successful, but you could somewhat survive if change was slow. Versatility means you were flexible, but what, what had a skill set. You, you became you, you were able to flex at the right time in the right situation adaptability was more advanced and, and it meant that you were able to anticipate that, you know, and again, whether the new word became agile, but it was, a, it was a higher level skill. And all of a sudden we all had to become adaptable. <laughs> we, 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 we had to not only change with, with the environment, but we had to anticipate what the next move was going to be or as, as best as we can. So adaptability is going to be big. It's amazing how many times adaptability has come up in my conversations over the last three or four weeks with people. Uh, the other thing that comes up with people and, and you and I were talking a little bit offline with this early on was uh, with transparency. So the, the ability mm -hmm. to be transparent, which requires us to be authentic and be vulnerable. So those things finally are starting to show up. Um, empathy, uh, you know, is starting to show up, especially with diversity and inclusion. So there's all these conversations and hopefully it's going to stick this time. Because we, we've thrown around transparency, we've thrown around adaptability, we've thrown around empathy uh, for years. Uh, for I've been in this business 25 years, 
And for it's been going on ever since. Um, this may be that tipping point that has changed all that. I think that there was a lot of um, hoping and wishing that certain technologies would come about uh, and would improve would improve work like you know uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, and some people are talking about it a little bit, but it's one of those things I feel like just didn't didn't really happen. And I can't imagine that you're going to get a bunch of people with their own computers at home hooking this kind of technology up without like some very serious, without some very serious intervention and a lot of cost. What do you think about that? You know, I've got an Oculus headset upstairs. Um, yeah, I I love. I mean, I, I love playing with it, and it's like every thing in this conversation. You know, I I, I got to do. I forget about it, and like it's on a shelf. Uh, you know, initially we used it all the time and it was fun. The It's awkward. It's awkward. Um, you know, it, it's incredibly awkward. What's interesting is two years ago, um, my, we had my mother up here. It was two years ago, maybe three years ago. She's, she's going to be 97 in, in a couple of weeks. Um, and we, we pulled it out and I tried to, you know, I wanted to be, her to be able to see it. To, to experience it. And, you know, she, she, she does use the, the computer. She does email, you know, in, incessantly. I get jokes and emails forwarded all the time. Um, but I was able to get it. Finally, I was able to get it on. She didn't want to mess up her hair either with the headband. So finally, she was able to get it on. And she had it on about an hour and a half. Really? She, she left it. Um, so I, I, I think there's two things. Do I think that virtual reality, augmented reality is going to, it is eventually going to catch on? Do I think it's going to help, um, occupy, you know, help in education? Uh, is it going to change the way we train people? Uh, is it going to help, uh, older, uh, people, you know, with Alzheimer's dementia, keep them occupied, uh, teach new skills? I, yeah, I absolutely do. Um, but it surprises me, and I, I don't know why, uh, and it'd be a good conversation to have with somebody, why the technology is really lagging so much on making it more adaptable. I know Google Glass had their thing. Um, <laughs> you know, are we sort of stuck between, well, nobody wants to invest in the old headset because we're just on the brink of having those holograms, um, you know, be able to visualize those. Um, so I, I don't know why the technology for virtual reality is so cumbersome to date. Yeah. Cause if you had asked people before the pandemic, if you said there's going to be a pandemic and everyone's going to work from home, I guarantee you people would have been envisioning, you know, everyone at home on their VR set so they can attend a virtual meeting or, you know, um, the virtual training is going to be on the rise. And that just didn't, at least as far as I know, that just didn't happen. You know, it's when in the scramble to get everybody equipped at home, it was very much like work with what you've got, whatever equipment you've got lying around, whatever desk you have, whatever corner of your apartment you can set up. You know, there's no time to roll out fancy new technologies. And then the training on it would be another concern. 
Well, you couldn't even get it for a while. They were, you couldn't get laptop. I mean, everybody went home yeah. and they were there's shortage of laptops and headsets and modems and routers and and everything else. So they certainly weren't equipped for that. But no, you, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, there were people working off of crates, uh, off a of dining room table, you know, kitchen <laughs> tables, off of counters, off of ironing boards, off a of shelf, you know, off of shelves and closets. Uh, so people got creative. Uh, they figured it out, uh, but. I, I think that's another thing. I mean, companies are starting to realize that that hey, it's a instead of having a, an expensive commercial space, why don't we give our employees a subsidy to go out and buy a nice work area or even renovate a space in there if they can? Obviously, it's tough if you live in the city in a in a one bedroom, sure. three hundred square foot apartment. But uh, you know, for for people <laughs> that did commute um, and it was further away, and then they're going to come back soon is. Uh, you know, it's fairly easy for, uh, you know, companies to to provide subsist, you know, some type of uh, reimbursement or subsistence uh, to uh, make those renovations. And, and, the, and the smart companies are doing it. You know, the other companies are we don't uh, we don't want to do, do that because then they won't come back to work, I, I think, are foolish. <laughs> yeah, I, I think those are the companies that are going to struggle going forward. And I, I hear those stories as well. Well, Ira, um, I think that's good. that's about all the time we have. But it's been a real pleasure speaking with you again. It, it always is. It's it's fun. You uh, you know, I, I do these often, and I wonder if I'm just going to say the same thing over and over again. But we had a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Absolutely, I agree. Um, listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what we should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HRWorks Podcast. If you have any suggestions or thoughts, or if you just want to say hi. Thanks so much. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.